we are continuing our series in James. What, maybe five weeks left? This class that I'm taking at St. Mary's the, is trauma. It's healing trauma, which is, of course, you know, traumatic. And the last traumatic thing that happened to me was the hour in presbytery meeting where in good fashion we debated when to have a meeting. I'm never going to get that hour back in my life. But at least that wasn't the biggest trauma I've ever had. But in this class, we're watching a movie each week. In this first class, we were asked to watch Fisher King. I don't know if many of you remember it. It came out in 1991, after all. You might rewatch it or pull it out. It has Robin Williams, and he's great in it. I mean, this is, you know, fairly young Robin Williams. And um, I'm not going to tell you all the whole story, of course. But it involves a quest for the Holy Grail. They need to find it. And of course, one of the main people is going to risk his life in order to get this thing. And in our text today, we have in verse 18, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Our quest in this text, in, in this life, is to obtain or enter into or get a harvest of righteousness. I wonder what you think a harvest of righteousness would look like. This text is a cultivate is a continuation of really uh, verses or chapter three all the way down all the way to verses or chapter four ten. So this is a big long section that hangs together and we're looking at a, a little piece of it which is fine and it's certainly a continuation of Paul's theme or James's theme of word and deed faith and works that our faith comes out in works we've been talking about that over and over again in some ways James is similar to Proverbs like a New Testament book of Proverbs look at Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. At 13, 10. By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Faith without works is dead. When I preached two weeks ago, we talked about alive faith and dead faith. This time we're going to talk about wisdom. True and heavenly wisdom, false and worldly wisdom. And wisdom comes out. Wisdom is truly lived life in the real world. It's not test-taking. It's, it's applied knowledge. And it comes out in deeds and works. So what are worldly works, worldly wisdom? Well, when the New Testament uses worldly there are good things in the world, but they're talking about a system opposed to spiritually. So a worldly wisdom would be self-oriented, fraudulent, corrosive, acidic, cancerous. It's still a type of wisdom. James doesn't say it's, it's not wisdom at all, but it's worldly. 
It only goes so far, and it's ultimately corrupt. Will fail. And so then James lists it out. So we're going to go through them. There's bitter jealousy. And so as we do this, remember, we're not thinking about, oh, yeah, you need to listen, or those people are doing this. We're trying to think of ourselves. What am I bitterly jealous about? I don't, maybe don't often think of it that way. I, I normally think of it like, hmm, I want that. Real bad. And they shouldn't have it, but I should. See, uh, bitter jealousy is possessive. Like a possessive girlfriend or a possessive boyfriend. Bitter jealousy is controlling and manipulative. Instead of noticing... Wow, she's a great singer. Or, or wow, this guy has a cool car. Or, or wow, this family looks lovely. Or, or wow, this person is so talented in whatever area. Bitter jealousy wants to possess it. That is mine, or it should be mine. And then if I can't have it, you shouldn't have it. I want that person's spouse. I don't want what I have, or that person's house, or that person's life. So what are you jealous about? Next one is selfish ambition. Now, you know, we as a culture really like ambition. Ambition is great. We, we, we praise it, we nourish it. Uh, hard work like this, grit, determination gets us far. We love the stories about the person who gets up at 4 a.m. and trains and trains and trains and makes it and makes it and makes it and you know, wins. That's what you're supposed to do. Rocky, you know? But selfish ambition is, is it's all about me. I'm the center of the universe and I am doing this for me. Not for anyone else. Not to bless anyone else. Only, only for me. And certainly most people are not ambitious about their walk with the Lord. Ambitious about their humility. Ambitious about their patience. Selfish ambitious is not like that. It's part of worldly wisdom. The next one is boasting and pride. Boasting. Pride has confidence in me. This this thing makes me. So what, what do you boast about? There are good parts of all these things. There is good boasting if we're boasting about others or boasting about the Lord or, or, or blessing others like that way. I went to the dentist on Tuesday. <clears throat> My mouth feels violated. But for a long time until I was about 40, I was very proud that I had never had a cavity. And I would boast about it. Julie would go and she would be, have a cavity filled and I'd say, well, you know, I've never had a cavity. And she never once said, well, what's your secret? She was like, screw you! <clears throat> that's not hard to believe, right? It's a, that's a frequent conversation. So, so the, and she was like, you know, I brush my teeth three times a day. I brush my teeth once a day. <laughs> So I'm boasting now, not in even the way I take care of it, just I have teeth that don't get cavities. Needless to say, 
that proved not true over time, including this visit. Bummer. Boasting and pride, then, is like, it has to do with power wielding somehow. That, that what I have is part of what makes me who I am. And then, and then we add into that this zealous part of it. Paul talked about his zealous, zealousness, zeal, oh, zeal, uh, for persecuting Christians. He was zealous for, for Yahweh and didn't believe there could be a Jesus. So anyone who had said there was Jesus, he wanted dead and off the planet. And we all know there are religious zealous out there. But what are you zealous about? Clean car? That never gets a scratch? Perfect papers? Working out? Not all of these are bad. I'll tell you one. <laughs> In 1997, <clears throat> I went to Covenant Seminary, but before that, I was taking classes on tape. Whoa, remember that? And so I, I really loved taking these classes on tape, and I was trying to get as many of them in as I could before I started, so I would have these credits, right? And so we moved, we moved into our apartment, like, maybe in June, and um, <clears throat> this is the same summer as Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosia, I told you about that. So m my wife had sort of a rule that, that when I was doing stuff like that, I couldn't be in the apartment because I messed up her whole schedule. I didn't think so. I thought it was pleasant to be around. And, and hey, kids, let's, let's make some jello and, you know, things like this. And she's like, no, you're banished until you, you're done with your stuff. And so I had to find a place to listen to these tapes. My sister also had an apartment, and she was a nurse. So I started going to her apartment complex and listening to them at the pool. It was delightful. So I'm taking classes at the pool, <clears throat> and lo and behold, after a month goes by, I start to get a pretty good tan. I'm 27, 26. This is the best tan I've had in a long time. And so what happened was I worked on my tan every day, even when classes start. I would, I would come home from class and sit outside reading a book, making sure I was still getting tan. And of course, the crazy thing was, no one cared. Julie didn't care. I never was out in public in a bathing suit ever. I mean, like, you know, if you were going on a honeymoon or something like this, you might walk up work. No. It was just only for me. That's zeal gone wrong. I'm just trying to point out that we're zealous about all types of stuff. It's not wisdom when we neglect others. The next one is, is sim much simpler, false to the truth, right? There are straight out lies, there are white lies, there are lies about others, lies about the world, even lies about yourself, the untrue things that you think about you or, or that you've grabbed onto and have held onto, you know, um, Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. False. That is not true. Words get into people's souls. They never forget words. On our City Pres membership forum, we would ask, what are three things that people have said about you that are good and three things that have said, people said about you that are bad? And these are things that people don't forget. Broken arm will heal. 
You've got to work on healing those things. False of the truth is also uh, a fantasy that you've created, a narrative that you're living in that's this inaccurate about others, about yourself, about the world, about God. <clears throat> James then says again that these are earthly and unspiritual. They're inferior. They're, they're at odds with God. And the, the Bible talks about sin and inaccuracy and the opposite of wisdom comes from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And then James, for the second time, mentions demons again. He already had earlier in chapter 2. He brings it up again. So, so wisdom, earthly wisdom like this is, is captured and possessed not by God not by the Holy Spirit, not by Jesus. Captured and possessed in ways that is contrary to God and His ways. Sneaky, like the screw tape letters, which you should definitely read if you haven't. We often think the devil is going to come right at us, but no, he so often comes around this crazy, long-term back door into our lives. Cozy up to demons. And all of this creates disorder. Gets to John's theme of wisdom and walking together. There's a together aspect of all this. Because these wisdom things are coming out in worldly deeds. And and these worldly deeds are creating disorder. Communal confusion. The opposite of peace. Strife, disputes, restlessness, instability, one-upmanship. It makes it tumultuous to live in. Sort of like the upside down in Stranger Things. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a logic. You can navigate it. So often people that are, are hurt or in trauma... They're embracing worldly wisdom. They don't go to health. They go to what they know. So if you know the upside down, this tumultuous, disordered world, then you continue in it because you understand the rules in that system. So as you can see, other people got problems, right? We're all good. Where do we see ourselves in this? What messes can we discern in our lives and our hearts? Patterns. Thankfully, James says there's another type of wisdom. Wisdom from above. Heavenly, godly, spiritual wisdom. What, what does it look like? What attitudes and works does it produce? Remember in James 2, in only just 12 verses, he says deeds and works 12 times. So he's very concerned, not the mental processes, but how it comes out in real life. Um, wisdom and understanding, they, they go together. Look at, uh, there's tw- a couple times in Deuteronomy where this comes up. Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them 
as your heads. Wisdom and understanding go together in a real life so that you can approve these people to help be leaders and then be followers. And so then he starts to list the good list. They get intertwined. And James uses somewhat alliteration in these with, with E words and A words. Meekness. Humility. Submitting to God's truth. Willing to change. Assessing correctly. Now that was not valued at all in the Roman culture. And it's mm, a little bit okay now. We sort of like humble people. But it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Remember that song? Willie. Meekness is pointing to others, not boasting in ourselves, pointing to others, pointing to God. The Holy Spirit is a good example of pointing to Jesus and to God. Pure, pure, holy, not bent, not double-minded. This is a, a character of God for sure. Wisdom that is pure, wisdom that that doesn't just calculate how the ends justify the means. Okay, we're going to do this experiment, and, and we're going to come up with this great thing, and in the meantime, we are going to just blast people, use people, kill people. It's not pure wisdom. Peaceable wisdom, considerate, equitable Peaceable means, in some ways, it doesn't abuse its position. Peaceable means it's willing to yield. It involves sober thinking, like the wisdom of the designated driver. It's not conflict avoidance. It's not appeasement. Because of this, these are... These take wisdom to understand what peace is, right? In different circumstances, you have to do different things. Different people with different temperaments. So it's hard to sometimes understand. And this is why we need spiritual wisdom so that we can be at peace with others. Spiritual wisdom is gentle, open to reason. Say that's curious about things instead of Labeling everything. Kind to things. Patient with things. Our professor on Friday read a case study that, that he had treated this woman and she had a time limit because she had a visa was going to go to a, go back home and it was very strict and she really felt like this was her last chance. She was 50 years old She's like, I got to get help. And it was major, like major, major, major. And so they met every four, they met four times a week for an hour for two years. Now, I don't know if you guys have been to counseling. Uh, normally, I think it's probably normal to go once a month. If you went once a week, she would have done eight years' worth of counseling in two years. That is intense. And when you're working with someone in these situations, right, it takes so much wisdom to be patient, to draw out, 
to discern, to try to heal and ask God to heal. Because a lot of times what you find is you, 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 you're unearthing anger, horror, pain. And, you know, honestly, people don't like to talk about that kind of stuff. And so it takes so much wisdom to be gentle and open to reason. True, godly, spiritual wisdom is impartial, sincere, straightforward, undivided, not duplicitous. It it recognizes bias. That's what we talked about in in James 2, 1 through 4. We were discussing, hey, oh, you have money, sit here. Oh, you don't don't smell very good. Oh, you sit there. None of us are unbiased. It's impossible. So you have to recognize your bias. And then meekly bring it to the Lord and deal with it. Take stock of it. Repent of it. Okay, so let's uh, turn in our papers. How how did you how are you doing? How did you grade yourself? Grade yourself and give it to the person to your left, and then we'll grade each other's papers. Right? Which side of wisdom do you think you're on? If you're humble, meek, open to reason, and sincere, then you might be able to see where you fall short. Most of this comes out in in communal relationships. What we do each day becomes who we are as people. And if the Holy Spirit is not involved, this is our natural bent continually all the time. And so if you're like me, when, when you do take stock and you do realize that you're a failure, shame comes up. Guilt is true. Guilt is more an accurate assessment, but shame is the feeling we, we put to that. Avid Brothers have a, a song on shame. Shame, boatloads of shame, day after day, more of the same. Please take it off. Please make it stop. The cry for someone to help. Because what we're, what we're after is this harvest of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. This shalom, I've mentioned before, shalom is, is all things flourishing, all things working the way they are, And Jesus teaches that that peacemakers are blessed. James does too. Are we seeking peace in our church, in our denomination, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our world, and even within ourselves? Or that cancer the, the acid, the earthly, superficial, dishonest, insincere, artificial, hierarchical, patriarchal, all the articles, appearance, 
recognition, power, money, too busy? And are we dishonest about all of it, saying it's all okay? Because friends, when you get cancer, what do you do? You gotta get help, right? We see these things in our lives and in our in our church, in our families. We need help. How do we get this wisdom that seems honestly so elusive? How, how can we get this healing? Who's gonna take it off? Who's gonna make it stop? Uh, the good news for us today is, is there is wisdom from above. The book of Proverbs, it centers on Proverbs 8, where wisdom is personified as a person who creates the world, who sets things in it, who makes things peaceful and right, all working together. And Jesus Christ is that person. Jesus Christ is the the logos, the wisdom, the word, the thing that makes it all come together, that makes it make sense even. He's the way and the truth and the life, the true wisdom from above. The only one who can take this shame and guilt away from us. And so when we enter that true wisdom, of Jesus, it comes out from us in His work on our behalf, right? All these times that we failed, He takes on Himself. He sets us right. And then we can walk in humility and peace. And what's so crazy about that is that's disruptive to earthly wisdom. And so it can feel like you're in more conflict because that's a different ratio, a different way to uh, assess things. And then you come back, you need more wisdom. You need more Jesus. Not to save you, but to be with you and to help you. You You need more Holy Spirit to bring out these fruit of the Spirit. And so many times so often feels like dying. When you, when you start to change the narrative that you've always thought, good or bad, when you start to unearth the words that you've held on to that, that are tarnishing you and, and gripping you, when you start to give up the things you've boasted in and, and taken pride in so much, and when you when you become zealous about the things the Lord is instead of what you care about, it feels like dying, honestly. The only way people get resurrected is if they die. Ain't no resurrection without a death preceding it. But there's this transformation that happens transformation in the Fisher King. Here's another great one for this transformation. Rain Man. Watch it again. Watch it the first time. You know, you got uh, Tom Cruise and, and Dustin Hoffman and, and this <clears throat> uh, their dad dies 
and Dustin Hoffman gets all of it, and he's severely autistic, and Tom Cruise, like, only gets a car. Dustin Hoffman, am I right? Okay, okay, yeah, <clears throat> I saw confused faces. And, uh, and so Tom Cruise, worldly wisdom, looks at his brother, is like, dude, you're not even, no, you have no wisdom. You're like, you're off the rails. And so I'm going to get my way in with all this stuff that I want, earthly wisdom, and I'm going to manipulate you and take it from you and make sure I get it so I can get what I want, and you don't even need it anyway. And so, of course, as they go, they march on. Tom Cruise has to die to that guy and live to the guy that loves his brother and protects his brother and doesn't want to take from his brother. Who, who's like, people start making fun of his brother, like, dude, whoa, stop. See, because the relationship becomes the thing. So, you know, we're really not after trying to get peace in and of itself. We're after relationship with Jesus, first of all, and with all his creation, and with his people, and with his church. And we want to live in that ecosystem peace. Wisdom that comes out Another Avid Brother song, last one. When we started City Prez, we actually printed this in the bulletin. We were so gaga about it. This is the song called Salvation Song. And at the very, he sings it several times. They say, we came for salvation. We came for family, for all that's good. And that's how we'll walk away. We came to break the bad to cheer the sad, and to leave the, behind the world a better way. Peace. Amen.